the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Money 2.0, Thursdays at 6 p.m. to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that's on your mind we can talk about, please don't be shy. That's the only thing that I ask is don't be shy. We, we need to all get to retirement. We need to go to HR today and say, can I get that benefits package and see exactly what your, the company offers me? Because sometimes it's pretty good deals. Um, for instance, I got an email from a man who was 50. 5654 yesterday and he works for a Bay Area software company and he didn't have enough disability insurance and he didn't have enough term life insurance I said go in today to work and check to see if you can purchase these things through your company sometimes you can even get car insurance through your company at a better deal than you can get on your own so go to HR and ask for a benefit sheet, and then read through it. Uh, we are living in a material world, as Madonna once famously said, and I am a material girl. I'm not going to go that far, uh, but we're going to talk about Wall Street this way. The stock market is living in a virtual reality world. Today, there's a really crazy story about... Facebook and who they're buying, they make a $2 billion purchase into virtual reality hardware, uh, a bet on the future. Not a bet on how we consume media today, but a bet on how we may consume media in the future. Now, instantly off the, the, the line here, I'm going to say this seems like they can't lose because they're using mostly expensive Facebook shares, very little cash. But they bought a company called Oculus Rift, of which I've been paying attention to this virtual reality company for a while now. And you can go to YouTube and, and Google it and take a look at how cool the experience could be to be immersed in a virtual reality scenario. Now, is Mark Zuckerberg thinking we're going to access Facebook this way? Probably not. But we could certainly access, you know, phone calls, virtual dating. How about instead of Match.com where you see a picture or a video of a person, you just you hook up headsets and take a look at each other completely. Take a look at their, walk around their apartment a little bit. See what they look like in, in different clothes on. See what they look like today. Or how about you get a front seat at Wimbledon and you're on court. So maybe we'll be consuming sports differently. And that's kind of what the bet is there. We'll talk a little bit about that and more as the show goes on. 
But Wall Street is a virtual reality. It's going higher and higher and higher. People get freaked out by that. We're not really paying that much attention to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Do we care that we might be one step away from a Cold War again? I don't know. So strong gains in Asian and European markets. Thumbs up. Central banks are probably going to announce more stimulus thought. Asian shares are mostly higher on stimulus bets. Europe rallies on stimulus hopes. So stimulus means things aren't going great. And stock market is going great. So it's a virtual reality, right? So maybe Zuckerberg is on to something. Sovereign debt crisis in the Eurozone, potentially brewing crisis in China that would be a byproduct of all the stimulus provided in the wake of the aforementioned crisis in the U.S. and in the Eurozone. It is a virtual reality view of the markets. The ends can justify the means. The U.S. market looks to be higher out of the gate. It is higher out of the gate. only thing that I could throw out there for you as far as there's not that many economic pieces of data and financial stories that are like, ooh, Candy Crush is public today, King, King Digital, ticker symbol KING. They priced 22 million shares at $22. A lot of hype on this one. This will be a story and a story stock throughout the day. It's easy to talk Candy Crush because everyone can understand it, right? As of this moment, it is publicly traded. It's down 2 bucks to $20.62. I wouldn't be surprised to see this one at 30 I wouldn't be surprised to see this one at 18 today. Uh, but not much lower. So they've got some valuation numbers that are okay. But, and this is the big but, they're also a one-trick pony as far as their products go. Hmm. Stories that are out there today that we should talk about. Anything on your mind? Pick up the phone, give me a call. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Toyota's buying back shares worth $3.5 billion. I find that one kind of interesting. Remember, Toyota was a company that had a big legal issue two years ago with their uh, accelerator problems. For them to put $3.5 billion into a buyback, some people don't like buybacks. Some people would rather companies share more profits with dividends. World's biggest automaker is going to you know, sell 30 million shares to Japan Trustee Services Bank for a token sum of one yen per share. Dividends used to fund a new foundation to support the auto industry's development and environmental protection. That's okay. Um, but returning cash to shareholders and boosting its return on equity after its cash pile expanded to 1.8 trillion yen as of the end of December... They're expecting record profits this year. So why not do some buybacks and dividend increases and help fund some charitable ventures? But again, some investors don't like that dividend repurchase. So, or, yeah, they don't like the, they like the dividend versus the share repurchase. A little bit high today. <laughs> it feels that way, right? Is it the rain that makes me a little crazy? Could be. So Candy Crush getting crushed in early trade. Dun, dun, dun. Plug power, fuel cell, trigger short cell, breaker. Plug power and fuel cell, power uh, plant developer, fuel cell, energy. Triggered a NASDAQ short sale circuit breaker earlier. 
This basically is a restriction on prices at which securities can be sold short. About 20% of those holding plug power shares are short, representing bets that the share price will go down. About 12% of fuel cells investors hold their shares short. Shares of plug powers declined 13%. Yesterday, both stocks soared on news that some big automaker is going to announce a big deal with a fuel cell company. It wasn't much more than that. And what is a big deal? That's where it starts bringing up some questions for people. And it doesn't mean you were going in cars? Ooh. Here's one of those stories that's just not a story, right? Three Secret Service agents guarding President Barack Obama in the Netherlands were sent home Sunday after a night spent drinking. One agent was so drunk that he was discovered unconscious in a hallway by staff of an Amsterdam hotel. The incident happened before the arrival of Obama for a nuclear security summit. I don't know. I have to imagine plenty of people have woken up drunk at a hotel in the Netherlands. True that. So, yeah, it's true that. So, anyway, taking a quick look at the market numbers uh, one more time. We are opening higher at SP 500. Dow's up 66. The Nasdaq's up 22. 10-year Treasury sits at 2.73%. Again, as we get close to 3%, it's going to be a much more difficult market to succeed in. Virtual world, reality, real world, where do you live? Where do you think this market's in? Drop me an email today, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Call the show, 800-516-1220. Running out of seats for the event in Santa Clara Thursday night. It's a retirement planning event as well as dividend achievers. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Candy Crush, it's publicly traded. So we got that going on, right? Other big stories. Tomorrow I'm going to be speaking with someone about Apple by Netflix. Today I'm going to be speaking with economist Dr. Jeff Rosen at 8.33. So we'll see where this all goes. But for now, it's going to Mike in Palo Alto. Mike, how are you? Well, thank you, Rob. What's up? Um. I have some 529s, and I just think, was thinking about using the target date fund for the purpose of having the funds available at a particular time when kids go to college. And uh, so that was like a good thing. The asset class mix is usually cash, bonds, and stock, and these are you know, fund index funds, so they're typically uh, broadly diversified. In a rising interest rate market, I, there's some concern that bond funds would, would be a drag, such as we get closer to... Uh, to their retirement. These are approximately only three or four or five, maybe seven years in on one of them. So they haven't, and I, they should run for about 18 years and then the cash should be made available. Yeah, and, uh, you just said, you said, but, you just said retirement. You wanted to say for college, right? I mean, for college. Thank you. Okay. No worries. 
I'm just making sure. Um, yeah, the American funds in this case aren't horrific. Typically, I don't recommend American funds, but the Utah plan is a pretty good plan, and they offer target funds that are targeted towards the date your kid goes to college. So it makes things easy. Um, so if you have a kid today, he's probably not going to go to college for another 15, 16 years, so you get the 2030 fund. If you've got a 5-year-old, you get the 2027 fund. If you've got a 10-year-old, you'd probably get the 2024 fund. Um, the way I would angle this, if you're going to go with that angle, is I would be more aggressive. So instead of thinking that you're going to want the allocation directly tied towards that date, I would go a little bit further than that date. Um, as far as the bond funds in it go, it kind of comes with a package, as you know, so you're not going to be able to manage that terribly well. You could look for other options or other states. Um, as, let me talk a little bit about, about the College America 529 plan um, that you're talking about, and thanks for the call. All states have different plans for 529s. 529 plans are basically saving vehicles that help investors save money for their kids' college so that the money could be used for college costs tax-free. So all 50 states have it. It's really not a wide, as widely used of a program as it, as it could be or as it, you would think it would be. So what's interesting to note about that is, is that you don't need to have a 529 plan. You could pay for your kids' colleges with grants, with money from your 401K, with after-tax money, which isn't as sufficient as saving money for them. And what if your kid doesn't go to college? Well, then you'll take the money out later in life after it's grown without you know, capital gains, you'll take it out and you'll pay a 10% penalty on it. So, because you're already using after-tax money. So, yeah, I kind of get why you might want to do this. Um, but also, one thing that I'll say is that you really want to make sure that you fund your own retirement first, Mike. I would say that 529 plans are for wealthy individuals who are looking for other ways to grow tax-free, tax, free, tax uh, capital gains-free money for their use of down the road, especially since college costs are going to be more and more expensive than you can imagine, because degrees are getting more complicated. Uh, to get a computer science degree, it's costing a lot more money than it did 10, 15, 20 years ago. So the fees are pretty low. They're amongst the lowest in the 529 plan industry. Um, target funds give you that time frame that makes it easy for everyone to figure out. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility. You can start these accounts for sometimes with a $50 automatic monthly throw-in. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but the target dates don't freak me out, and the bond allocation that comes with it. See, they're meant to go towards less volatility as your kid gets closer to 18, 19, 20. And I get that. And this is an exceptional time in, in the history of bonds that you don't really want to be in a lot of bond funds. Short-term bond funds are a lot easier to digest right now than mid-term or long-term. And if you go to your 529 plan, and there's a great website for this, savingforcollege.com, savingforcollege.com. If you go there, you'll quickly see that you know there's a lot of different options that you can choose. And you chose one with a state with a very low cost basis. And what's interesting is you chose Utah. You don't have to choose California if you live in California. You don't have to choose Virginia if you live in Virginia. All the states set these up, and they shouldn't – I think they confuse people by naming them in states. Your kid doesn't have to go to that state. 
and you're actually allowed to use any state that you want. So being able to compare the costs, which is something you did, you were able to figure out one with the lowest cost possible in the whole United States, uh, where the mutual fund family, they're getting good money for a long period of time. So I kind of get why that's angling the way it is uh, at low cost from the states, but uh, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I've talked out one up till as far as I can talk about it. 529 plans are, again, a way for the person to save money for their kid's college costs that is going to be tax-free when you take the money out. You don't pay capital gains on anything that you gain between now and the time the kid goes to college. It is after-tax dollars. Um, it's not a bad idea if you're maxing out your 401k and everything else. If your kid doesn't go to college, then you can go back to college and use the money. If your kid doesn't go to college, then your other kid can use that same fund. So it's not like you're having to guess, what if, well, what if my kid gets a scholarship? It could be used on things like apartment costs. So as long as it can be proven that it's a cost at college, I wouldn't terribly stress over that. Um, but I think you get where I'm going. It's not for everyone. So a sharp decline in King Digital just moments after it went public was not surprising. Uh, a lot of fast money in the stock's sudden plunge. So King Digital, last I saw, was trading down 10%. Uh, analysts have raised questions of King Digital's growth potential, calling the company one-trick pony. Uh, there's another company that you can take a look at, Zynga, which is similar. So let's take a quick look real now that it's been trading for roughly half an hour. Roughly an hour, excuse me. Uh, just so we can play the game. Now it's down 11.7%. So, yeah. That's our odd story of the day. I think Facebook by Oculus Rift is a fantastically intriguing story. Um, if they're right, it's a massive win three to five years from now. We won't know. It's like we won't know if America did a good thing in Iraq for 20 years. If Iraq has capitalism in 20 years, it was a great, very well-afforded war. If they're still crazy and nothing settles down... Uh, probably wasn't that good of an expenditure. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's take a break here. Again, we've got a couple more seats for that event coming up Thursday night in Santa Clara at the Santa Clara Marriott. You can sign up right now at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can even learn more about it at robblack.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW Black and I am Radio Station. I protect my pride when I'm too bruised to fight. And even when I'm wrong, I keep my head high. Black and white. Welcome back in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Yankees clearly lead the valuations of baseball teams at $2.5 billion, followed by the Dodgers. Income your Boston Red Sox at $1.5 billion with $357 million in revenue. So when you start thinking about that, their, their value of $1.5 billion will take you about five years of revenue to get there. So it's trading at five times sales. It's got $25 million in income. So a $1.5 billion current valuation, it's tough to say it's cheap, right? 
Um, Chicago Cubs come in third, but fourth on the list are your San Francisco Giants at a billion-dollar valuation. They pull in $316 million in revenue, income of about $53 million, third highest attendance in baseball last year, drawing 3.3 million people to AT&T Park, um, despite posting a record of 76 and 86. So they had a losing record last year, and yet we still come out in support. So um, obviously a lot of money in TV. A lot of the easy money is in the TV contracts. Oh, and I did mention the dreaded Dodgers are number two on that list, right? Anyhow, let's take a quick look, see how King is doing. I'm fascinated by this one. Uh, it's an IPO that everyone knows it's a one-trick pony. They priced it incredibly cheap because everyone knows it's a one-trick pony. We've seen the disaster that is Zynga. We don't get why a company like this is worth $6 billion of digital you know, candy. You, know, you can buy a digital... Uh, a lucky candy. You can buy a, a candy that swishes all the candy to the left and destroys them all, swishes all the candies and blows them up next to it for a buck ninety nine. You can keep playing the game for three bucks. This is the future of video games. Um, give away the product for free or near free and uh, make the money up on the back end. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money investing in more. The SP 500 is up four. The Dow is up 34. The Nasdaq up six. Let's welcome in certified financial planner Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And he is a certified financial planner, which is different than a stockbroker, which is different than um, you know an investment advisor. It's different than a certified retirement specialist, which is a made-up title. The only title I care about is the CFP. Let's talk withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Let's talk pulling money out, withdrawal methods. Um, if you don't want to make a baby, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pulling money out of <laughs> retirement. Um, you're, you've got this nest egg. What's the concept that we need to know on how to pull money out so that the rate, we don't burn too much too fast? Well, the first idea is getting an, knowing whether or not you're, you're withdrawing too much. Right. If you're 50 years old and you're having to draw 4% of your portfolio to live and you think you can stay retired... You can't. You have potentially 50 years worth of inflation. So if you're drawing $50,000 a year now, in 18 to 20 years, you're going to have to live, draw $100,000 a year to live. And with muted returns in the, in the bond side, with very low income on bonds, you're going to run into problems. So, you know, 65, if you can draw 4% of your portfolio to live, you're going to be okay. More than that, you're going to run into some problems, which means that means that you're not going to be able to keep up with inflation. How realistic is it that I never touch my principal and I just live off my dividends? If you can retire at 65 and, and comfortably have you know, 2% of your portfolio to live, and then that starts the draw rate, so eventually you're going to have, you know, be pulling you know, all of your income. Yeah. So if you're only pulling 2 or 3%, that means the majority of your returns can be reinvested for future inflation. Um, and in the past, you could just, if you were that type of a wealthy person, you could just turn around and put all your money in treasuries. Now that's not the case. Treasuries are at a, a historical low in terms of yield. And how, so there's almost more risk there than having a mix of stocks and bonds. How often do you recommend people search for higher yield, knowing that they're going to compromise on credit quality and or compromise on uh, equity smoothness or, uh, what am I trying to say, principal uh, risk? Well, what you look at is credit spreads. Okay. So the times where you're going to look at 
compromising or taking a little bit more risk and going for that higher yield. And an example of this is you look in March of 2009 where all bonds were thrown out with the stock market. I mean, the bond market got crushed for a short period of time. And the spreads between AAA-rated debt and government debt versus high-yield debt was at an all-time high. And within a year or two, you had you know 15 to 30% rates of return on high-yield bond funds. Um, so when the credit spreads between high-quality bonds and high-yield bonds is at a historical high or higher than the 10-year average, that's when you move money into those categories. The problem is right now that I think a lot of people are moving into way too much into preferred stocks with financial companies. Um, they're moving into uh, high dividend paying stocks that are directly tied to interest rates. And they're searching for that yield to replace bonds and replacing it with very volatile assets. How about protection from inflation? You can truly never protect yourself from inflation, even with Treasury inflation protected securities, because different types of inflations occur. You know, tips only protect you against consumer inflation, sort of. Yeah, it's kind, kind of the CPIU. CPI. Yeah. Whereas senior citizens, their inflation is more tied towards healthcare costs, which is higher than the CPI, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 5 to 6%. So can you truly protect yourself against inflation with your principal, or is that just a fantasy? In theory, okay. you can. By, um, in terms of, if you look at an overall bond portfolio, you typically want some corporate bonds, a mix of you know, high quality and a, a mix of a little bit of high yield in there. When you're retired, on the government bond side, you want basic government bonds, and those come in the forms of treasuries or TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds, where the face value of the bond gets adjusted upward if there is inflation, Um, and uh, Ginny Mays, for example. But then of your bond portfolio, you want a good percentage of that, too, in foreign bonds. And this is something we talk about, because if you're earning interest rate, if you're earning interest in other currencies' bonds, or other countries' bonds and their currency, and your dollar's falling. Once you move that currency back into U.S. currency, you get that extra boost from the, the exchange rates. So by being with a good foreign bond manager, and they're focusing on countries that have an increasing currency versus the U.S. dollar, that's a, that's a hedge against inflation as well. And then investing also in things like you know energy stocks that pay a nice dividend. That's another way to do it. So in theory, you can, but we're, we're, we're coming into a time, Rob, where 10 years ago, nobody was investing in commodities. And the correlation was almost negative to the stock market. So you know if stocks were down, typically commodities would be up, kind of like with bonds. Now, everything, real estate used to be that way as well. Now, both real estate and commodities have gone closer to a correlation with the stock market. So really, to really hedge against the bad times, you still need that three years' worth of expenses and cash in retirement. Any final thoughts on taking capital gains as an investment strategy as far mm-hmm. as pulling down your uh, principal? Yeah, because what you have to do when you, uh, you know, five years prior to retirement, you need to look forward and say, how much am I going to have to draw from my portfolio every year? So here's my expenses. Maybe it's 100000 a year and you're getting fifty from Social Security and your pensions. You're going to have to draw fifty from your portfolio. That means you're going to have 150000 in cash. And that's where you're going to spend your money from. You're going to send your dividends and interest from your, your portfolio to your checking account, and you're going to spend some of your cash. And every quarter, you look at your portfolio. If you have an up quarter, you peel off enough of those gains uh, to replenish the cash. Does that mean you pay taxes? Yes. But would you rather pay taxes on gains or watch your gains disappear? We're talking withdrawal from your lump sum, from your pension, from your retirement plan, from your nest egg. I'm speaking with certified financial planner Chad Burton for more information about how to draw down your account. Find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. 
And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Microsoft employees, for instance, are selling their white Xbox Ones for thousands of dollars on eBay. If you could ever do that, do it. <clears throat> it's it's an odd thing for me to say out loud, but why not? It's something I almost regret. I once was I had game seven tickets to a hockey game. Washington Capitals against the Philadelphia Flyers. It ends with Dale Hunter scoring an amazing goal on a breakaway, and Dale Hunter didn't score many goals in his career. Crowd goes wild. I used to live in Washington D.C. Um, I had a chance to sell those tickets for four times face. So I could have gone to a bar, watched the game. It would have been the same breakaway goal. It would have been the same, close to the same crowd experience. If you find the right hockey bar kind of thing, I made a mistake. I didn't do it. If anyone's ever going to give you something for way more than you can get typically, consider it. So a white Xbox with the words, I made this. It's a pretty cool one-of-a-kind gift that isn't available to the public unless you go have eBay. Months after the next generation console release, few of those white box X1, Xbox Ones have popped up for sale on eBay. Um, they're going for $1,800, $2,700. So you can take that money and go out, and it's gone, one's gone for as much as 3000 And you can go buy yourself one for $499 and suddenly pocket, you know, psh, Fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars, and that's your whole retirement savings for the year. Like you did good, especially if you're on the younger side. You know, I know, but it's I need it. <laughs> they don't. So there's a new Wall Street buzzword uh, acronym, so to speak. Oh, and it's going to make you vomit. You know, there's things like yuppies, young upper professional person. Have a righteous soul. I don't even remember what it was. Um, generation Y, Generation X. There's a new one called Yummies, which is young urban males. And it's all tied towards marketing on a macro to them. Um, they have an obsession with personal grooming and health. Their premium consumers are getting a lot younger. They're investing in a number of non-traditional categories, including cosmetics. They're marrying at a later age, so they invest in themselves. So it's kind of a metrosexual attitude. It's a yummy. Another thing that Wall Street research is starting to focus on. Take a break here. Be right back. But underneath that is a very well-run company that has been black in your money. On AM 1220 KDOW. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Ford's playing concert somewhere in the Bay Area tonight. If anyone wants to take me, I'll swap services with you. I'll help look at your portfolio or something. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if we were more social? We just aren't. Anyhow, money investing in more. Let me give you some money investing in more. Okay, global movie ticket sales climb. International markets now account for $25 billion in ticket sales. That's one of the reasons that movies are just getting suckier and suckier. Uh, 
the new Transformers movies. It has to have action scenes in China because China's a, a market that spends money on movies. It's no longer about the story. Um, let me give you another angle on money and investing, right? $25 billion is big business. Overall, the whole industry is $35.9 billion. There's investment angles there, whether it's things like Lionsgate or uh, the company that makes the big digital screens, IMAX. Uh, movie theater chains love IMAX because they can charge more for a movie. And I, quite seriously, it's probably a better experience. Seeing that space flick last year, Gravity, in IMAX was probably a better experience. Now, some other angles on this that we, you know, you kind of have to hit. Um, Disney, they're buying basically a major internet studio that has a mom's channel. It's basically 88 YouTube channels that they're buying. They've got a mom's channel and they've got a a digital product channel. They've got viral videos. My assumption is that when you have 300 million subscribers, billions of page views, to me that's just like Disney saying, you know what, if we buy this for X amount of dollars, we could probably shrink our advertising budget by X amount of dollars for the foreseeable future. Because people are spending more time on YouTube channels. And if you don't get the concept of YouTube channel, shame on you. I've got my own YouTube channel, Rob Black Show. Um, and Disney, you know, they come out with that musical, um, Frozen. Frozen hits a billion dollars. You know who goes to see movies multiple times? Kids. You and me, were like, eh, Sandra Bullock lives at the end. Or does she live at the end? And, like, you have, eh, I don't want to see that again. Right? We, we get it, we're in, we're out. But Frozen hits a billion dollars because people have gone to see it again and again and again. And they've actually released a version where they put the words to the songs at the bottom of the screen. So you can sing along in the movie theater, which is pretty darn adorable. Disney did something kind of cool with that, too. It's a movie that, like, the whole message is not about a prince saving a girl, a prince saving a princess. It's basically about two girls. Sisters. I was like, good for them. I know you're saying, did you see the movie? I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> so I don't even know if I'm talking about is true or false. Um, but I find that entertaining, to say the least. Okay, so let's go even further back and say, how can you find a story in everything that's financially related? I think it's important that you do. I think that's how you become a better investor. Mark Zuckerberg buying a virtual reality company is a small gamble on the future of what we might be doing in five years. It's a very small gamble. Here's the shocking story of the day. Do you want to hear the shocking story of the day? Steven Seagal is listing his Shasta Valley Ranch for $12 million. Who in their right mind would think that Steven Seagal actually had $12 million? Not me. Um... And have you seen Steven Seagal recently? He is not very easy on the eyes. He's the only person who decided, well, not the only person, 
But he decided to basically put jet black into his goatee, but not necessarily into much of his hair, and his hair is awful. Um, and to give you like a different even angle on Steven Seagal, I was good friends with David Ayer for a little while, and he's the writer of Training Day. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out, um, Training Day, I Am King Kong. And uh, where does this story go? It has to go somewhere. Oh, he's got a new movie coming out. And David Ayer, uh, we're the same age, and he, he did End of Watch. He did the first Fast and Furious um, writing of it. So his movies are frequently set in L.A. Um, one of the angles that is interesting about him is that a lot of his first writing jobs, before it was, you know, um, Fast and Furious and U571 and Training Day and Dark Blue and SWAT and Fury, um, Sabotage, which is coming out right now, before he did a lot of the writing that he did, he did rewrites for Steven Seagal films. And you get big money doing bad movies. So the script is so bad that they have to have a writer on set coming up with new lines and new angles and cheaper way of doing shoots. So that's David Ayer. Um, real smart guy. I think he's probably the best writer. I'm not sure about director, but he's probably the best writer as far as stories go. Uh in Hollywood these days. So his movies don't necessarily take place in China just so they could do ticket sales into China. Okay, so let's go back to reality. Let's take a look at the markets. We have the S&P 500 up 3, the Dow up 24, the NASDAQ down 2. Um, as far as stories of inside the market today, uh, opening gains, upbeat on Europe and China, possible stimulus. Durable good orders beat expectations. That's nice to see. I have a big event coming up tomorrow night, Thursday night, in Santa Clara. There's literally a handful of seats left. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We'll take a break here. Tomorrow night, going to be talking dividends, going to be talking retirement strategies, uh, making your income last till the day you die. Sign up at robblack.com. Hey. Consultation. That's 408-947. Hi, Brian Recton with KDOW, letting you know your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Interesting day on Wall Street because the stories are kind of dramatic. Facebook's a little bit weaker, down a point and a half at $63.45. Now, Facebook's lower, perhaps, because Mark Zuckerberg decided to spend in a very aggressive move, which I appreciate from CEOs when they work out. Um, Facebook is investing $2 billion into a virtual reality bet, a company called Oculus, which makes virtual reality headsets that we're not really using yet, but they're starting to promise them for video games. 
And the idea here is, is that she could be playing like a Call of Duty or maybe a, a zombie shooter game. And you put the, the thing on your head, and when you look left, your body looks left in the game. When you look right, your body looks right in the game. So it's a little bit more immersive than what we currently have, just a big flat screen. Now, this could be used elsewhere. It could be used for doctor visits, where you put the headset on and show the doctor your boo-boo on your knee. It's like, ah, oh, that's just a scrape. It could be used for, you know, stick out your tongue and say, ah, where the doctor could now have a really good perspective into your body in kind of a 3D virtual world. It can be clearly used for business meetings, but also for, like, social dating meetings. Think of the idea of, you know, Match.com and how silly it is that you find love by looking at someone's profile, pictures, and maybe maybe some video, of which they're only going to show you video and pictures of them at their best. Then you decide, hey, let's set up a meeting where... If you could do that virtually, whew, holy mackerel, it would uh, change things up a little bit, right? So right now, mobile is the rage. A couple years ago, you know, the Internet and chat rooms were the rage. Where does it go from here? Virtual reality, it's a bet. 3D glasses haven't worked in television terribly well because people don't like the headgear. So Oculus will have headgear. Could it hit some markets better than others? Sure. Um, video game players are, are just hating Zuckerberg being involved in their world. And I get that. So that's one of the business stories of the day, right? Another business story of the day is Candy Crush coming public. And easy comparisons to Zynga are, are just easy. Uh, you can't hide from that. Zynga made... Farmville, a lot of people played it on Facebook that share with their friends, ooh, I just got a cow. Now you can do King Digital and Candy Crush on Facebook, or you can do it with uh, just on your phone. You can ask your friends for lives, and it's kind of where it becomes a little bit more social. You get three lives in 30 minutes or five, I don't know. You buy virtual goods like candy that blows up, and the goal is sometimes to get like 10 candies in a row or why are they worth $7 billion? That's got people freaked out. So they came public and instantly went down 10%. Other business stories of the day, basically Wall Street is rallying on the concept that more stimulus is coming the way into the hands of Europeans as well as Asians. And that's a good story, but it's also a bad story. It's good news and bad news. What do you want first, right? So the S&P 500, oh, wait, why is it good news, bad news? Okay, I'll tell you. When you basically make money cheaper, you can create bubbles. When you basically make money cheaper, you can create inflation, which is an inflated bubble. It could be in lower-cost food. It could be in a ramification that's not intended. The United States wanted to avoid a recession, wanted to keep inflation low, wanted to keep jobs as high as possible. And they lowered the cost of money, and suddenly we're still spending in China, and we're creating a bubble there. One in eight people in the world last year died because of air pollution. That's a crazy number. So we're inflating the air pollution uh, death count, right? Sometimes inflation doesn't have to be the price of a car. Although I, I do find it interesting, car payments are hitting all-time highs, year over year over year, 
exactly at a time when interest rates are low. When interest rates go higher, it's going to be tougher for car companies to get you into that vehicle. When interest rates move higher, it's going to be tougher for mortgage lenders to get you into that mortgage because part of your debt that you're taking on either in a mortgage or a car is tied towards your payment. So there we go. The market opened much higher today, but it is already starting to probe, probe into negative territory. And there's a feel that there's a lot of chop in this market. And chop could be talking about, you know, names like Tesla. And now people are starting to say, should Netflix be acquired? Not are they a cable channel, but should they be acquired? Tesla's down two today. It's recent all-time high of 265. It's not hitting its all-time high. And for a while there, every day it was hitting its all-time high. Correction, hit its all-time, run to its all-time high again. Netflix, it's all-time high 458. Now it's sitting at 368. Last time you saw a pullback like this was January. And then it runs to an all-time high. So it comes with the territory. It's very normal to have corrections. They never feel good, whether it's in an individual stock or whether, like, the biotech sector had uh, up 65% year, then up 20% in the first three months of the year, and they're hitting a correction. Just like you. When you go to the gym and you bench press 500 pounds and you're Beefcake 2000, you're putting supplements in your body, at some point in time you need a day off to get to 501 pounds or 502 pounds. Um, so biotech's actually up in a day when the market's lower or sideways. It's had a rough week. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Let's do some hating on Oakland, okay? Oakland, the average salary, if you combine all their players, is $83 million a year. Now, you can't hate on that, right? San Francisco is $154 million, almost double what Oakland spends on players. The Yankees, $202 million in payroll this year. Dodgers are actually number one. That's the first for a while. So Dodgers come in number one, payroll at $235 million. $235 million. Um, so you have that going on. Now, baseball team values, because it is taking out the ball time, time of year. Baseball team values... San Francisco Giants come in at a billion dollars, revenue of $316 million, income of $53 million. So even with that huge team, they still pull in $53 million in salary. Oakland Athletics, $495 million. Are you kidding me? They're only worth $495 million? The Giants are worth double? That's why Lou Wolf wants to move them. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. His team value would go up hundreds of millions of dollars if he can get out of that horrific antiquated ballpark that they play in. I like that ballpark. It's got character. Okay, it's got the dog man, and that's the only character I see in there. Anyhow, and anyway, um, so for all the revenue that the Giants paid last year, they had a worse record than Oakland, right? So it's worthy of note that sometimes your highest cost of, of business is labor. Sometimes you could do bad hires, and that's one reason why companies like Facebook have to stay cutting edge uh, to keep their employees happy, to keep the, the engineers working on projects. Anyhow, I'm totally digressing. Big event tomorrow night, Santa Clara, Marriott. Uh, it's a wealth preservation. It's a retirement income. Make sure it lasts till the day you die. I'm going to be talking about dividend stocks. There's only a couple more seats. There's no walk-ups tomorrow. None. To get your calls in the air or to sign up for the event, it's robblack.com. It's robblack.com.
20 KDOW traffic. Big delays. Dow Industrials up 35 points, also a gain of 0.2%. That's a Bloomberg Market Minute. It's easy when you're young and you still want it so badly. And I Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So this is a band that I saw right before they broke out. It's an airborne toxic event. And listen to strings. They use a lot of orchestral arrangements, which makes it a very unique sound. The lead singer, he should be an inspiration to you, Mikhail Jolet. He was a writer, and basically it wasn't working out for him, so he said, I'm going to write songs. And then he put together a band around that. I find that pretty intriguing. He was uh, going through a breakup. He learned that his mother had been diagnosed with cancer. He himself is diagnosed with a genetic autoimmune disease. Um that leads to two very cosmetic conditions that he suffers from. One of them alopecia, one of them vitiligo. Um, I've never been able to say that word. Vitiligo. I guess that's close enough. It's a depigmentation of parts of the skin. So, and it's a lot of what people thought Michael Jackson suffered from. Anyway, I'm totally digressing. He was a writer who said, I'm going to do something different. There's a study that I'm reading, and there's a lot of, I read a ton. I probably have more read in one day than you have in a year. I have to read an IRS release on Bitcoin. They're going to treat it as real estate. That's fascinating. And if you get paid in Bitcoin, you better pay your taxes in cash, because they ain't accepting Bitcoin. But there was a a study that I'm, I'm starting to read up on, on being poor is not your fault. I'll probably share that with you down the road. I know you're saying, thanks, Rob. <laughs> Anyhow, let's take a quick look at the market numbers. we got the S&P 500 up 5, the Dow up 38, the NASDAQ down fractions. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton is a financial planner. We talk retirement and wealth issues all the time. Let's talk about the concept of rebalancing your portfolio. I think we all know the concept while we're working. Keep a look at it. Make sure nothing gets too overweighted or too underweighted in your portfolio. Uh, that's when you're working. But mm-hmm. what about in retirement? What concepts do we need to know? Well, let's talk about first why you rebalance, because things like asset classes go through different rotation periods, and I've talked about the Callan Periodic Table of Investments, and you can Google that and find this, and you can see the sectors or asset classes, as soon as they make, you know, they're the best place to be for two or three years in a row, within a couple of years, they're the worst place to be in the last, in those two or three years in a row, and so when you see them hit the ring the bell, especially for like three years in a row, or when you see an asset class like REITs all of a sudden rally up 15% when they're really a yield play, you know it's time to take some profits and buy stuff that's been down. Um, so you, you're always looking for your investment choices where you want a good 10-year average rate of return, and it's got to be risk-adjusted. In other words, low standard deviation, low beta. Um, and when you see something that has a great long-term rate of return sell off for a period of a year or two, that's when you want to buy it. 
that's when you get the real great returns that help you outperform in the long run on a risk-adjusted basis. So that's how you rebalance. The easiest way for, for a person pre-retirement to rebalance is to just turn on their re- automatic rebalancer on the 401K. Almost every single one has it, where every year at a certain month, um, it'll rebalance everything back to your original choices. A more active person will use their contributions to change their asset allocation and to rebalance. In other words, if they look in their portfolio and see they're overweight in large cap and underweight in international, they'll stop adding to large cap and start buying international. Make sense? Absolutely. But if um, you know, you're in retirement, it becomes a different story. Your rebalancing situation looks like this. You have your different pieces of your portfolio. I like your three years' worth of expenses in cash, a balanced portfolio, um, a dividend-paying stock portfolio, and some other income that's guaranteed for life. And so what I do when I rebalance and I look at things, the first thing I look at is how much of their three years' worth of expenses in cash did they spend? So if the market's positive for that quarter, I'll peel off enough out of the portfolios to replenish their cash. And then I'll look to rebalance inside the portfolios. So the first thing you look at is how can I always peel off the house money in the good times to replenish the cash that I'm spending so I always keep my three years' worth of, of safety reserve to get me through bad economies intact. Okay. So that's, that's, it's, it's really important to kind of monitor it a little bit more closely in retirement and more on a quarterly basis. Most younger people in their 20s and 30s, they could rebalance once a year and still be okay as long as they're actively saving. So for you at work, you're in your office, do you have a flag that says, take a look at, should I be rebalancing today, this month, this quarter? Like, when do you remind yourself, like, I need to do this? Um, well, it, it, on a quarterly basis, if the market's negative, you just rebalance inside the portfolios. Okay. But if the market's positive and it's in a big way, let's say it's a 7% quarter, for example. Right, which is what we had first quarter of 2012. Right, and so you, you talk to the clients that are retired, and you constantly have to remind them that you need the three years' worth of expenses in cash. So the quarterly review process becomes, look, here's what your portfolio did. What do your cash levels look like? Okay. Most of the time I can see on a wealth management site that we have for clients, I can see the amount of cash, and we can go ahead and send that to them. Gotcha. But it's an active communication situation. Uh, most of the strategies that I see people pitch out there are, here, I'm going to set up this strategy, and I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm going to sell you a bunch of crappy product, and then don't, please don't call me for 15 years. That's not how it should be in retirement. It's your money. It's the only thing that you have left to live on until you're 100 years old, so you better be a little bit more proactive about it. NBA is now starting to put advertisements on jerseys. Have you ever considered putting an advertisement on your business suit? Sell ads. <laughs> You're doing these quarterly reviews. I'm trying to think what would be on that. Something like Milk of Magnesia or something. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> Depends. I like it. You're telling, you're telling me your clients wear Depends. <laughs> nope. You're going on the record. Yeah. Okay, so what else do we need to know about rebalancing? Um, is it easier than we think? Is it something you should let a professional do? I think it's the hardest thing that people do because it's easy to buy, but the hardest time, the hardest thing that people have trouble with in investing is when to sell. Yeah. And so by creating pieces of your portfolio and a certain asset allocation level, so you have, you know, you got your three years worth of expenses in cash. That's something you have to keep intact. That means you know you have to sell gains in order to keep that intact. Okay. And then you have an a, an asset allocation plan that has a certain amount in in stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, alternatives, all of that in the portfolio. You set those parameters, and you know you have to sell when those parameters are out of whack. Okay. Um, I think that's about it for this topic. I think we've beat it to death, so to speak. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> you can meet Chad at an upcoming Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event. You can find out more about those at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can meet Chad yourself. Say you need a CFP. Say this is you know rocket science to you. Say this is difficult stuff to understand and comprehend. Financial planners are good, good, solid ideas for people in retirement. You don't have time to make up your mistakes. Don't make mistakes. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. One of the things that I do is I do a TV spot at 9.15. And one of the stories I'm going to talk about is a deal that's the loser for Tesla. Even though it allows them to open up three dealerships in Ohio, it's a loser because it limits them to only three. And it shows you congressional's pull and the Senate's pull and state legislators' pull on what you and I get in life. It's interesting. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. Restrictions apply. Activation as low as $99 required. Up to 60 months. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and IR Radio Station. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. You can always find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist at Briefing.com. Mr. Rosen, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You got a Twitter handle, or that's not for you? No, I've never gotten into the uh, the Twitter life yet. <laughs> you know what it's incredibly useful for is finding, aggregating a ton of other people's ideas. So I can like flash through 500 business stories, including briefing.coms, in one minute versus going to like 500 different sites. So you, it may be useful for you to you know find like the Federal Reserve you know tweets. Maybe not. Yeah, I get them on RSS feeds, so I still get the I get emails on a lot of things that that are normally sent out via Twitter. So I, I don't think I'm missing too much. We have um, you know, a lot of our analysts use Twitter throughout the day. You know, like what you said, to, to get aggregated information across different news sources. We use it to confirm um, economic news when it comes out, so like what the uh, headline number is and, and stuff like that. So I mean, it is definitely useful. Okay. Um, let's talk about the economic reports that we're seeing today, and then I'm going to throw a curveball at you later. Headline durable orders looks like a mixed message. What, what do you see in those numbers? Um, I just see ugliness. I see you know, you, you had a headline surprise. It was all as a result of Boeing. There was some confusion um, among consensus forecasters on whether there would be a big um, negative uh, seasonal adjustment factor on the Boeing numbers, which would reduce the the impact of aircraft uh, on the headline, which is why uh, you only had a one percent gain instead of a you know instead of the two percent gain that you saw. Take out Boeing, take out the aircraft, you're you know only up zero point two percent. You look at business capital, demand for it is still weak. Uh, negative orders number, you had a, a slight positive shipments, which is good for GDP because GDP is is based on um, production and not just you know future orders demand. So. We saw a little bit of uh, manufacturers producing goods that consumers wanted or, or manufacturers wanted. 
The question is, you know, is this going to continue? And if you look at the history, it doesn't seem so. And, and we've been looking at a, a statistic that's not really publicized. It's um, if you take the unfilled orders, the change in the unfilled orders with the change in shipments and uh, new inventories that were produced. So basically this gives you a ratio of back orders to total production. And you get a really big uh, ratio right now, which means that there's a lot of stockpiles in terms of back orders that manufacturers simply aren't producing, and there's no real reason why. You know, you would expect that you know, as soon as an order comes in, especially since we know they have the capacity, they would go out and produce, but that's not happening. So either manufacturers believe that these orders will be canceled at some future date, so they are not making them, or, you know, they, they just don't want to make them. They, they don't have the, you know, even though they, they claim to have the capacity, they don't really have the capacity. So the question is, which is that? And to me, it's more of they feel that orders are going to be canceled and don't want to get ahead of production. This is an obvious softball question, I think. I'm not sure. But higher interest rates, we all know, will affect mortgage costs. People will be able to afford less mortgage. It'll affect borrowing costs for corporations. They'll be able to do less return on investment. They'll be able to buy back fewer shares. Uh, you know, we know that. Um, how about interest rates on, like, durable goods numbers? Do you factor that in where you go, okay, we're at a, a 10-year treasury of three and a half that's going to hurt housing starts, or am I overthinking this? No, you're thinking exactly what it what it is. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily relate durable goods to housing starts, but, um, you know, you, you relate to the interest rate to demand for capital. I mean, if your interest rate goes up, you're, you know, the return has to be higher in order to justify the investment. And, you know, right now that hasn't been the case, even though interest rates have been at zero. So one thing that we've noticed so far is that um, consumers are not rushing out for durables. So the low interest rates haven't been as attractive to consumers to go out and buy, let's say, um, dishwashers or, you know, stuff like that. And we're nearing, we're not exactly, but we're, we're getting closer to the usable age of these goods. So... You know, consumers are going to have to buy out of necessity soon, so they may get a shock because they're going to be buying into uh, when prices are on the on the rise, as opposed to today, where prices remain relatively low, given where the uh, the Fed is still involved in QE. But you know, if, if QE ends at the end of the year, like everybody suggests, and if rates start to rise, where the market expects in April of next year, uh, the consumer is going to be the one that's going to be hurting the most because they're going to be buying into the these higher costs. Where, are there any other economic data points today that are important or any coming up that you're eyeballing? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the income and spending data comes out at the end of the week. Um, you had a fairly decent retail sales report, and we're going to see if um, a lot of the, the weakness in retail sales, why, why we see a much stronger report is if the, uh, the weather conditions forced households to spend more on utilities. So we'll get an idea of how uh, the shock will be in, in terms of, uh, you know, gas prices, natural gas prices, not necessarily gasoline prices are on uh, the consumer. And then next week we get another uh, employment report. You know, you get another look at to see how much uh, 
you know, the economy was affected by weather and how much it wasn't. You know, we're in the camp that, that weather wasn't a big problem. We expect um, the employment report to show about 185,000, which is what the initial claims level uh, suggests, which is kind of what we've been seeing, you know, on average over the last 12 months. So that's really going to see if there was a, if you have a big spike, it, you know, it might signal that some of the weakness, you know, came because employers did not have people on payroll from weather. But I don't expect that to happen. Where do you stand, or do you stand at all, on earned income tax credits versus a higher minimum wage to help the low end of our economy? It's a difficult. Um, it's a very difficult measure to evaluate. Um, one is getting money up front. One is getting money, you know, at the back end, especially if you're going to get refunds. Um, it's one of those things that theoretically should do the same thing uh, in terms of, you know, elevating the poor out of poverty. Uh, I, I would probably be, if I'm going to stand on one side, I'd be with the earned income credits. I think that it's probably less a factor on overall labor market conditions because I think that it targets better, and I think it prevents um, companies from bearing the uh, the brunt of the financial problem. Uh, the flip side, though, is if you have to raise taxes elsewhere to pay for those earned income credits, then everybody's getting hit you know, with lower income to support that. So it's still a redistribution no matter which way you look at it. The question is, is it the company that's paying for it or is it the public in general? I bring that up in large part. I live in a very affluent part of the world, San Francisco, Bay Area, and our poor, they're getting a lot more noticeable. Um, and sometimes they look like families that, you know, people can't live off $77,000. They're poor here. Poverty is defined as, you know, family of four, 77,000, San Jose. Um, I don't have a statement other than that. Are you seeing more poor people? Are you seeing more wealth than the haves and have-nots? Well, you're definitely seeing an increase in the inequality. I mean, that's been okay. going on for for decades. I mean, you see a stagnant uh, median wage, but you see larger aggregate uh Wealth. So, how is that possible? Well, it goes to the extremes. So, you know, in the end, you're having a bigger group of population that is uh, falling on harder times today, um, just due to inflationary pressures over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, compared to, uh, you know, what's going on. And that makes a difference. Anything else you want to add to this conversation? Anything else you want to add economically? I mean, I still think that there is a lot of questions surrounding is inequality necessarily bad for the economy or is inequality bad for social reasons. And that's two distinctly different uh, viewpoints. And the reasons behind supporting, you know, current system in place or allocating towards more redistribution is, you know, it's an argument that, is not easily solved. And if you are trying to make it on an economic viewpoint, you know, I think you're going to have difficulties. So advocating for higher minimum wage, for example, as an economic reason might be a difficult justification uh, where it may be more of a social reason. And, and the question then is, how much of the social problem do you want to pay for? And that's the economic cost.
Thanks very much. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen, the Chief Economist Briefing.com. Clearly, Briefing has a lot to offer. Uh, they provide independent live market analysis of the U.S. and international equity markets. Uh, it's still a website, but um, also you can follow them at hashtag briefing.com. Briefing com, no, it's briefing.com. So their hashtag dots don't work for some reason, so it's briefing.com. But uh, you can follow Dr. Jeff Rosen and a lot of the publishings that they do, uh, a lot of their articles come straight out of their company, go to Twitter and various news feeds out there. It's a really great organization, and I can't say enough positives. They're not paying me. And I can't say enough positives. Um, great insight. Hopefully you appreciate it. Learn more by going to briefing.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. The IPO for Candy Crush is crashing, down 10%. It's below its IPO price, um, which doesn't mean a lot. Right now, the market makers, they're trying to get you to buy, so they're discounting it and lowering the price. So, King Digital Entertainment had $1.8 billion in revenue last year. That's more than 10 times its 2012 revenue. Its other top games, including Pet Rescue Saga and Farm Hero Saga, don't really do much. So, it's being compared to Zynga. That's pretty easy. Now, the truth is, the company is making money. And you could, let's back out the whole angle on revenue. Um, and you start looking at how much money they're actually making, and you can start going, okay, I, you know, I can see something here. Um, as far as valuation goes, it, it can be short-lived. They reported a profit of $576 million last year. and they're, Are they going to keep it up? No. They're a one-hit pony. Can they milk this pony for a while? Yeah, a one-hit pony. Talk about mixing metaphors. Enough of me. Let's go to VJ and Palo Alto. Hey, Rob. Uh, hey. So I, I hear you recommend, uh, suggest owning REITs versus uh, owning a rental property because it's easier maintenance and stuff. No maintenance. Sure. Uh, so how do you decide? Like you yourself uh, and Chad Burton are those things like you own rentals. So why did you choose rental versus REIT? Um, I'm wealthier than you, is my yeah. guess. Pardon? So I'm probably wealthier than you. Okay. Um, and in t- time, if I can go back and redo my rental property, um, I would. I would have put it into REITs. I would have made a significant amount more of money. There's a website. Uh, let's see if I can think of it right now. And thanks for the call. His basic question is just repeat. Oh, it's Conan Sears. Is REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, publicly traded, not private? Private is a, it's not a scam, 
But there's so much, so many kickbacks that the people who like private REITs like it because they're getting a massive amount of money every time you do a transaction. But publicly traded REITs aren't that scenario. It stands for a real estate investment trust. And for instance, you could buy office properties across America. You could buy mall properties across America. You could buy storage properties around the world in a publicly held trust. They're mandated to give you X amount of their income. Roughly 90% of the income comes back. That's pretty attractive. So they're built to be cash flow generating machines. You, they, some of them own just the mortgages, and some of the REITs own the properties, and they manage it for you. Um, I would have been much better off in publicly traded REITs. There's a website called conansteers.com, C-O-H-E-N and steers.com, that has a FAQ on REITs. REITs get better performance than actually privately held real estate. Now, one reason people like privately held real estate is leverage and long-term cost, long-term, long-term fixed costs that don't really adjust for inflation. Publicly traded REITs are a non-correlated asset, but you can make a case that if you can lock in rental real estate now with incredibly low interest rates, it would be more attractive than playing a REIT that's going to have to change their borrowing costs in the future tied towards higher interest rates. Um, like I said, if I can go back in time and change one of my rentals, I would. The other one is an office property where I basically get to pay myself rent. Um, now, I've done some land deals where you get to develop some property. Someone has a big farm and they're trying to sell it. That's a totally different ball of wax than what we're talking about here, You know, where you're throwing down money to get something built and developed and ultimately sold to a home builder or build your dream house here kind of thing. So there's different ways of approaching it, and I would rather you, the average person, not become a slumlord. I would rather you manage your stocks, your bonds, your real estate, through publicly traded angles. Now, you can go out and lend money to your friend, and basically it acts like a bond. You tell him you want him to pay you back 6%, but what if he defaults on you? I prefer to go the publicly traded route where there's kind of a vetting, investing, uh, a vetting of the investment process. Uh, there's a lot of due diligence that's done by people who have the eyeballs for it, who know real estate better than you, who know borrowing costs and lending money costs, i.e. bonds, um, who know stocks better than you. Now, you can go out and invest in a band. You can go out and invest in your friend's company when it's private. I prefer you do it through Wall Street. It's just a lot more eyeballs on it that's checking it for if it's good or bad and what the odds are. And also, it stops you from becoming too many things when, in reality, VJ, you're probably, let's take a guess, um, you're in Palo Alto, maybe a Facebook employee, um, maybe a VMware employee. So you probably know that world a lot better than you know lending money, buying real estate, and or you know, investing in, in new companies that aren't publicly traded. So that's why I prefer it. Now, again, the people who push private REITs, they got a, a, an interest in it. People who say, oh, real estate's the best deal you can make. Like, there's a commercial that I've heard recently. I don't know where I heard it, where they're basically telling you that you can have an IRA and put anything you want in it, including real estate, and it makes me almost want to vomit. Because real estate's already tax efficient, and what they're trying to do is get transaction fees, and it basically makes me want to vomit. Um, 
there's some really, really bad products out there that sound great. In reality, they're not. Hey, big event coming up Thursday night, tomorrow night. There's only a couple seats left. They're probably booked by now, but you can check it out. Sam Clara Marriott, talking dividend stocks, talking uh, income pillars, things that you need to know to make sure your money don't, doesn't run out before you die. Uh, you can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Take care. Have a good day. And thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.